Welcome to Church in the Wild, everybody. I have a guest with me, as always, one of my favorites that I get to spend time with every year. He's been a man who's been a mentor for me, a friend for me, and someone who has been there at the genesis of my pastoral career. Pastor Norman Nakanishi. Hello. Yes. Seth Genesis. I like that. That's right. <laughs> we met in Nashville, Tennessee at a pastor's conference. Yes, of course. The Cornhole Tournament, Pastor Norman. No, we met before that. Did we? Yeah, 2005 is when you started coming here. 2000. It was 2005. 2000. No, I didn't take over to 2007 as the pastor. Okay, then 2007. 2000, yeah, yeah, right around 2000. Because yeah. we met like that first summer. Okay. Um, I believe at the pastoral conference yeah. and you had a whole crew from Hawaii. All your kind of yeah. core staff yeah. was with you. Yeah. And I had two of my staff and you basically just adopted us because we didn't know anyone right, there yet. Right, right, And right. so you were the first just to really, we felt like kind of on a lonely island a little bit, oh. you know, just kind of coming in and uh-huh. fresh and um, because I had just become the pastor and come off the campus world. But so I knew of a lot of people in the room, okay. but didn't know anyone yet. And uh, there was a big cornhole tournament that you and I partnered up in. And, uh, Nearly won it, if it weren't for me. That's right. Well, <laughs> I can't let you take all the blame from that no, one. No, it was me. Trust me. <laughs> um, but uh, and then from that moment, you started making an active investment in me. And you started flying me out here to Hawaii to spend time with your leaders here to process with you. And of course, that earned me a lot of sympathy around Corvallis getting to come out and visit Hawaii. <laughs> it was a joy. So. On a summer, cigarette and then we basis. did want to fly you back out again in January, but you were uh, ministering for Adrian on the East Coast. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep, that's right. Um, so anyway, you've you've been there pretty much from the beginning, and mm-hmm. I've just there's been so many leadership questions that you've been able to to help us with. You've been on our board mm-hmm. of our church in Corvallis and helping mm-hmm. us process just a lot of questions as we've been growing and having growing pains and all that. And uh, one of the reasons I've been really looking forward to this conversation is there's something about your leadership to me personally that seems to really stick out above the rest is your passion for people outside the church mm-hmm. that you have mm-hmm. you seem to build a church that is continually loving and reaching people beyond itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never known that ch- and the church that you're at is obviously quite large. It's planted multiple churches all over the islands um, and all of them seem to be very bent towards loving people beyond themselves, mm. and um, and that doesn't seem to be very normal as far as churches go these days. Um, mm. It seems like they can be quite inbred, quite internally motivated, um, really into fine tuning their theology or their doctrine. Um, but everything I know about you mm. in terms of your involvement in community and everywhere you go, you seem to be making connections, relationships, and and even just helping to train and raise people up to be very mindful of and to care for the lost. Um, and I thought maybe a good place to start was uh, just the story that helped to really shape you and form you mm-hmm. early on in mm-hmm. your Christianity. Mm-hmm. But I got to hear a few years ago, and I'd love for our audience to be able to hear that as well. <laughs> you know, there, Seth, there are there are things that mark your formation early. Yes. So I was about a year old in the Lord, mm-hmm. and I was an English major at the University of Hawaii entering mm-hmm. my sophomore year, my first semester sophomore year. And the chair of the English department was teaching this course that required us as a final project to do a project, a multi-page project of a porn festival. Wow. They were showing hardcore pornographic films for three days. It was a porn festival. Those were just the days of Vietnam and 
you know. What year are we talking about? Uh, we're talking 1974. Wow. All right. Yeah, the year Nixon was impeached. Okay. Okay. Or he quit. He resigned. And yeah. He, right. You know, right. Went, sure. Yeah. So, it was a radical time. Free love. The Jesus movement was in full swing, but uh, liberality was everywhere. Mm-hmm. So the campus was at an all-time high, and just anything goes. Hmm. Um, and this was going to be a third of our final grade. Now, being an English major with a bent towards teaching English mm-hmm. in school eventually, uh, this was major for me. And she's the chair of the department. So you don't have an option in the class to just... Well, you know. I thought there would be. Okay. So after the class dismissed, after she announced the project, and we had all the material in our hands, the schedule of the films and everything... Uh, my knees began to knock a little. Mm. No, really, I was I was scared because I thought I'm going to have to say something to her. So I went up to her. How after long class. did you? How, how long had you even been a Christian at that point? Maybe nine months. Oh, so it's fresh. Ten months, oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So well. I had to I had to approach her and I said, uh, you know, uh, I am a Christian. And I found out that didn't go over yeah, so well. That's a lead statement. <laughs> yeah, there's nowhere to go from there, is there? I, I saw her face. I re- saw the body language. I went, oh. And I said, uh, as gently as I could, I can't do this project, but I'll do any other project you give me. I'll wow. work twice as hard. I'll do extra work. Right. I'm not trying to get out of the project. What, that's what teachers always assume you're trying to do. Right. right. And having been a teacher afterwards, having that's got exactly. my degree, yes. that's what I did. Well, I, yeah, students. I was a teacher as well. Okay. You and I share that. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so uh, she looked at me and then as the students were exiting, I would say, I would say maybe... I would say two-thirds of the students were still mingling in the class. A third had left. Ah, she so said, they're overhearing the conversation then? No, they're not. They're heading out. Okay, she yells gotcha. out, okay. class, everybody stop. No. Stop. Norman here says he's a Christian. How many of you are Christians? And I saw 17 people raise their hand. I know this, Seth, because I counted them. You counted them? Oh, yeah. <laughs> My knees are knocking, and I'm counting. I'm counting. I don't want to be alone, man. <laughs> you know? This is new to me. So she says, well, how many of you Christians yeah. cannot do this project like Norman's saying? Because he's a Christian. Nobody raised their hands. You're kidding. Yeah. My heart sank. 17 Christians raised their hands yeah, 17. on a pornography assignment. Yeah. And say, I've, there's no, no problem here. Now, in all fairness, a lot of people say they're Christians, but they don't even know what a Christian is. But out of so 17, say, yeah, yeah. you would hope that there would be... Yes. <laughs> even least. the nominal ones would go, I think that's wrong, you know? <laughs> yeah, totally. So she looked at me. She says, that's not going to be possible. I'll give you a couple weeks to think about it. But the answer is no, and it will always be no. So consider your options. This is a third of the grade. Wow. That's what I said in my mind. Wow. I was very discouraged. You know, I went back to our campus ministry room that we had nearby the campus, right across the street. I thought, I thought the Lord was going to come through and honor my bold stand. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought, where did God go? anywhere he's going to vindicate yeah. you, this would seem like to be the moment. Well, my parents were funding my education at that point. Mm-hmm. So I didn't tell them anything. My mom was a believer, so that was good. But I thought, 
I don't want to upset my father, you know, who didn't believe any of this. So I held it in for two weeks. Mm -hmm. The two weeks went by, and she calls me up after class. She goes, hey, Norman, come on up here. Have you reconsidered? And I said, "Um, I've thought about it, but I still can't do it. Mm -hmm. I can't do it. And I will have to suffer the consequences. I understand that. Now, to be truthful, I was a little angry. Yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I was I was not wearing a halo. This is what music wasn't playing. Yeah. I was like thinking about what my father would say. I was thinking about this is going to be bad. Mm-hmm. I'm going to think I'm th- and I'm, I'm a little like disappointed in God. Sure. Yeah. She says, OK, that's the way it's going to be. I'm sorry. I'm walking back to my seat, despondent, not proud about taking a stand, Seth. Oh, man. I was despondent. Yeah. She goes, Norman, come back up. So I, by now, I'm a little, I'm ticked. Yeah, sure. You know, the spiritual yes. spirituality is fading. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, you can do whatever you want. I was just testing you. No way. And here's what she said. I'll never forget it. I've met a lot of Christians and this Jesus people that are on campus like you. Yeah. Never met one yen that walked the talk. Wow. And you were willing to pay the price. And she said, hmm, I'll tell you what, you bring forth a project of your choosing mm-hmm. as an alternative. Mm-hmm. And I'll approve it. So I did. I forget what it was. Mm -hmm. And she said, and there's one other condition. You do the project and you have lunch with me at the end of the semester. And I want to hear everything you believe about this Jesus. Oh, you're kidding me. No. I, my knees were still, my, my hands, my palms were sweating. <laughs> my knees were still knocking because yeah. I didn't know much. Yeah. You know, I didn't think I knew much. We did have the lunch. I love meatloaf, so I believe I had meatloaf. Oh. So that, <laughs> that remember, I remember. That, that remember. I remember. No, that's important what you And she lunch. did. She says, tell me about what you believe about Jesus. Tell me about the Bible. I want to know. And I, I think I did it in about three or four minutes because that's, that's all, all I you knew. had. That's all I had. I was nervous as heck, but sure. the gospel did get out. Okay. Um, I don't know what she did with it yeah. and how it responded, but that was my responsibility just to share the gospel, oh my preach gosh, the gospel. That you even had that moment in the first place is a miracle. I believe I used the old school Romans road because okay. I had that memorized. Sure. sure. Well, the personal gospel anyway. And at the end of the semester, the cherry on top of the whole journey was she gave me a perfect grade for the project, which I will tell you I did not deserve. It was a grade determined by grace. Yeah. Because it was less than my best effort. Sure. Yeah. Wow. That was God. I mean, you talk about, did I earn that grade? Yeah. No. She was gracious. Wow. And I think she just, I think she was taken by someone who would actually take a stand. Yeah. That experience early in my walk did something in my soul. Mm-hmm. It laid a bedrock down. Mm-hmm. 
that's how it happened. Yeah. And what was that? What was that bedrock? What were some of the core convictions that you feel like you walked out of that moment with? <sighs> when you stand for him, he'll stand for you. I believe a great theologian named Seth Trimmer preached that in our <laughs> EN conference <laughs> I, using I the text recall. on Stephen. Of course, I wasn't stoned to death. Yes. Okay. Right. But I was scared to death. Yes. You know what I mean? Yep. I was 19 going on 20. Mm -hmm. And I realized, I understood it doesn't always end up that way. I knew people lost their sure. life. Yep. But I thought, I'm a young Christian. It's just a college campus. God, give me a win. But for two weeks, for two weeks, I thought, I would have to eat it. Yeah. And I learned a lot. I learned that God honors faith, that when you stand for him, he'll stand for you. And in that instance, he did. Mm -hmm. And there is power in the gospel because what you do earns the right for you to be heard. Wow. Because it was my actions that That's got right. her interested. That's you, right. You know what I mean? Usually yeah. you preach the gospel. and But she saw... A young man take a stand, take a risk, and it got her curious about Jesus. Yeah, yeah. She was intimidating. Trust me. Oh, yeah. She was smart as heck. I, my knees were almost knocking. <laughs> <laughs> so, Story. good Lord. I mean, that, that to this day, I mean, I I, I remember it like yesterday. Hmm. Yeah. And then you, you know, Seth, you did such a great, I've used that phrase, by the way. I steal from everybody. Well, okay? That's, that's what the great I, artists do, Norman. I, well. I have used that phrase a lot since you preached it. Mm. When you stand for him, he'll stand for you. And the picture of Jesus standing. Yeah, right. At, at the right Stephen's, hand of the yeah, Father. Testimony. Stephen is just riveting that night. Mm -hmm. And I thought my mind did go back to that moment. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So at what point did you... Um, at what point did you enter into ministry? How, how, how much further from that moment did you step out into either pastoral leadership or some kind of church leadership? Shortly around, it was, I don't know if it was a little before that time or mm -hmm. after that time, the senior pastor of the church knew, he sensed that I may have a call on my life. Yeah. And so I started entering his discipleship team. It, it would be about a dozen okay. people and uh, it wasn't anything fancy. He was cleaning the church, learning humility, character. He was big on that. Yeah. Um, and then he would teach a Bible study every week, twice a week, and we would just clean the church grounds. Yeah. That was it. It was in those times I felt like the Lord was confirming, you're called. You're mm -hmm. called to do what he's doing. Mm. You know, he called you out. Yeah. And again, it's another great theologian named Seth Trimmer who says uh, at our last NAST meeting, mm -hmm. uh, which is the last NAST meeting, That's true. <laughs> um, you know, Women follow Jesus. Men have to be called. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That's so true. And that's what he did with me. Right. I realized he put a, he tapped me on the shoulder. It was by the water fountain. I remember it to this day in the lobby of the church. He personally said, "Would you be? Would you come out and be part of my discipleship crew? Yeah. Intern training. I was young, so that's when I had the first sense. And then, of course, we had these camps. You know, now we have conferences. Mm -hmm. uh, we had camps five days, man, in the wilderness, college mm. kids, about 100 college kids, really. And in those days, uh, you know, that defined my life because at every camp I could, I could sense the Lord's call mm. stronger and hear his voice more clearly. So by the time I, by the, I would say within several months, I knew I was called to the ministry that getting a, a, a teaching degree was a stepping stone sure. towards entering 
full-time vocational ministry. Sure. I knew that. Sure. How do you integrate these convictions that you're learning just about walking the walk and making sure that you're salt and light, that you're mm-hmm. actively reaching out mm-hmm. to people that don't know Jesus? How do you make sure that that's a core conviction in your leadership as a pastor? Because you and I both know how many pressures there are on pastors mm-hmm. for all kinds of responsibilities that could easily take you away from mission mm-hmm. outside the church mm-hmm. and keep you fully occupied just within the walls of the church. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how did you how did you manage that early on? It wasn't always perfect mm-hmm. because the church church life and church people and care of the flock, follow up, follow through, teaching, preaching, planning can consume you. Absolutely. And it usually does. It does. Yeah. And, it, and it's, it's important. Yeah. The community of faith and shepherding that uh, community, discipling that community, developing that community um, must be done by intentionality. But then I thought, well, that exists because we reach people with the gospel. So I've learned early on that if it's a value, you have to structure it into your schedule. And so I said, well, I'm not an evangelist, but nobody can win anybody. But we are all called to sow seeds, Mm -hmm. to plant seeds, Mm -hmm. to water the seeds that either we've planted or others have. I Mm -hmm. think the Gospels are clear about that, the epistles. And so I call it entering the harvest cycle. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, I'm going to make sure I try the best I can to talk to a person who's not believer mm-hmm. each week. Wow. And it's not that I was preaching to him, but just building a bridge, making having connections. lunch, making mm-hmm. connection, and mm-hmm. then making it consistent, mm-hmm. becoming a friend, because Jesus is a friend of sinners. Mm-hmm. So my, my goal was to build a friendship, and the friendship would lead to building a bridge of faith. Mm-hmm. And I'm 64 now. Yeah. So I've been doing this for, oh gosh. <laughs> That's is That's it, not you want 44 to do the math? years. 44 years. And it works. And I, yeah. I believe this. It's like Pastor Steve Murrell, mm-hmm. our president. Consistency. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not an evangelist. He's a teacher. He's like you. He's a teacher. Sure. But he's got tremendous fruit because he just consistently practiced relational evangelism there in Manila. And so I just said, everybody's called to this. Mm-hmm. Guys with the gift of evangelism. Evangelism will be better at it. Mm-hmm. But I just thought, you know what? I just will enter that into my schedule mm-hmm. and be consistent with it. When I was in Yokohama, Japan in the year 2000, I was uh, speaking for Pastor Scott Dauma, mm-hmm. who we have, he has, he has our, a kick in church there yeah. in, in Japan. And I, I remember we're at the Yokohama River and I looked at this big billboard on a building. Mm-hmm. And speaking that same weekend near his church was Paul Yonggi Cho, pastor of the largest church in the world. Yeah. It was surely the largest billboard I've seen yeah. also. Yeah, at the time, his church was what, like a million people million in South people. Korea? Yeah. And I said, what am, what am I going, there's this big conference, you know, and everything. I think I'm speaking to, I mean, Scott's church was impressive for a church in Japan, but what am I going to tell these people? You know what I mean? When the shadow of the, of the pastor of the largest church in the world. And here's what the Lord told me. And this is where I coined the phrase since. Just tell them each one reach one mm. each year. Ding. 
And Japanese people love those kind of phraseologies, you know. Yeah. So I shared that. I said, imagine what could happen. And they like numbers. Mm-hmm. And so I, mm-hmm. I just extrapolated some of the numbers. I said, this is called multiplication. Slow up front. Yes, that's right. But in the long game, in the long term, wow. And that's what shows done. Right. You know, so that phrase, each one reach one each year, therefore found its way in our church. It's cheesy. And I think we don't say it as much now. Mm-hmm. We put it in other terms mm-hmm. that are mm-hmm. more up to sure. date. Sure. But everybody can touch one life. And if we make it a goal, I believe, to say, Lord, help me to reach one person, to disciple one person each year. They, that not may not be an evangelist, but we may touch an evangelist. Yeah, the evangelist we have now, uh, who's our fivefold evangelist in our staff, I had a part in his life. Yeah, and he's won so many people to the Lord and equipped so many people. So that's how I integrate it. You have to. I think you have to. You have to structure it into your life, into your schedule. Yeah, weekly. It's like a Sabbath. Once every seven regular days. Rhythm. Yeah. Well, I think that spiritual discipline, I consider it a spiritual discipline, is mm. obedience to Jesus' last it's words. It's definitely obedience, yeah. So if his last thing is one of the most important things, then I should put it into my planner. Wouldn't you say that it is, um, I don't know, almost seems to have an extra level of importance? Because you say that you're not an evangelist, right? No. That that's not maybe the natural wiring or... Maybe the the spiritual way in which God has really gifted you, mm. but isn't it seems like especially as a pastor, it's that much more important to do it because the majority of your church isn't wired that way, and yet right. everyone is called to live that way. Right. And uh, I heard a phrase from Larry Osborne, a pastor that you and I have, have uh, you spend a lot more time with him than I have, but he says the important people do the important things. Mm-hmm. You know, so if people mm-hmm. come to church and they see the pastoral staff or leadership and mm-hmm. whatever they watch them doing, they're mm-hmm. going to assume is the important mm-hmm. things that need to be done. Mm-hmm. And so if you are regularly putting that into the rhythm mm-hmm. of your life, mm-hmm. and that is just the organic outcome of how you live following Jesus, that seems to be the thing that's going to spur others on to do so as well, regardless of how gifted they feel. So true, because you know statistics say that, what, 3% in any given church may have the gift of evangelism. That's right, yeah. I've heard even people say it's 1%. Yeah, that's right, I've heard, yeah, I've heard 1%. Which means then you know God's plan is for the every man and everybody to carry the gospel. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I mean, look at church history. Look at the book of Acts. I mean, in 30 years, the church went from 120 or 500 to 3,000 to over 100,000. How did that happen? History says it went through the virus of personal relationships. Mm. So we know that it has to go through everybody, mm-hmm. not just through the one or three percent. They equip us. Yeah. And so that's how I live. Yeah. I live for that. You know, I uh, I get emotional about this, Seth. Um, I got emotional recently with my staff. I said, you know, as we look to the future, mm-hmm. and they understand transitions, they know what's gonna co- what's gonna happen, right. who's gonna happen, mm-hmm. when it's gonna happen. Mm-hmm. They're processing that right now. I said, but you know, you go back to the vision of the founder. the The reason this church was planted was to seek and save what was lost, mm-hmm. and specifically in that the who. Mm-hmm. Uh, this church I planted because I had a I have a passion. For people, it is unacceptable for me, for any soul, to spend eternity 
in darkness separated from Jesus. Mm-hmm. Now, we know that not everyone will, mm-hmm. but it's our responsibility to do our best mm-hmm. to bring as many as possible through the gates of heaven. Yeah. And that's why the church really exists. And if you take that away from my Christianity, Seth, it'd be boring. So I, I wake up <laughs> yeah, every day. So well said. So true. I think the greatest I think the greatest adventure. I mean, this is the spiritual Indiana Jones, Tom Cruise, Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, it, we get to wake we, we wake up every day with the opportunity to impact and affect someone far from God and bring them to the feet of Jesus. That thrills me. And so I may not have, most people may not have the gift of evangelism, but if the gospel's in you, we must have the heart for evangelism. Yeah, that's... The good news. Boy, that's really profound. I'm wondering, like, I am 100% with you in terms of the loving the world the way Jesus loves the world, you know, and caring... If the father wants his lost sons and daughters back, you know, then my goodness, I want the father to have what he wants and to, and to join with him in that mm-hmm. process for mm-hmm. sure. What value do you see evangelistically in the role of the Christian themselves? I mean, what difference does it make when a Christian is actively loving people outside the church versus, versus not? You know what I mean? So I guess I'm, I'm curious from your perspective of just how critical it actually is for the Christian themselves to make sure that they're loving outwardly. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I mean, I think you and I can see the difference. You you can have Christians that are loving, wonderful, knowledgeable yeah. people. But my experience has been, and this is just my experience, is subtly and gradually over time, they become critical. Mm. They become selfish because they're only seeing the same people all the time they're only seeing what's inside the walls of the church. Mm-hmm. And pretty soon, it becomes very introverted. Mm-hmm. It becomes selfish. It's like you were a football player. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, I saw some of the early games. They show it on ESPN Classic. <laughs> I'm on the Classic yeah, now, aren't yeah. I? <laughs> You are. You're a Classic, man. And just think, Seth, if... If all you did was beat each other up in fall camp, in spring ball, and practice, and scrimmage, and never play anybody in the opposition. Yeah, we'd go crazy. You would. We'd hate each other. (laughs) And and ironically, the church can get like that. Yeah, wow. What an interesting metaphor. I've never (laughs) thought about that one before. Uh, And I've seen that. And and it's amazing that uh, when you get people looking outward, or beyond themselves, mm-hmm. and we re-engage with the why yeah. of Jesus' mission, things change. We see through a different lens. Yeah. And I think God's just designed us that way. Yeah. I know for me, it's just really helped to remind me of just how big God is yes. and what God can really do. Because one of the things I think that intimidates people about evangelism is just the intimidating factor of needing to know enough or having the right technique mm-hmm. or needing to be mm-hmm. able to say the right things or mm-hmm. do the right things in any given moment. And anyone who does evangelism know that it's like, well, I, I never know enough. Like I never have the right mm-hmm. thing to say, mm-hmm. but you step out and then you watch God move on people's lives mm-hmm. and hearts. And then it's, it's far less about, I've just become really skilled. You know, I'm not just like a used car salesman for Jesus mm-hmm. sort of mm-hmm. a thing. You watch God move as you step out in obedience. And it really becomes about the, in, the 
imperfections of your invitations mm-hmm. and watching the Father mm-hmm. uh, do His work through you in the process. Um, and so I've, there's very few things that I think encourage my faith is watching Him work yes. in those moments and situations. Yes. I think about the thief on the cross. Mm. One of them gets saved. Mm-hmm. Remember me. I mean, there was no gospel presentation, but there surely was a gospel demonstration. Yeah. I mean, think about it. He's well, right there. hanging on the cross. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you talk about, yeah. draw me nearer, you know. I mean, we talk, we talk about coming to the cross, coming through He's the cross. He's as close as you're going to get. He's yeah. as close as you're going to get. And uh, today you will be with me in paradise. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at that, I go, there's a lot. He saw Jesus. He heard about Jesus. He, he, he imbibed the life of Jesus, you know. And I think all we need is a simple, clear gospel, but a very loving life. Yeah. Boy, yes. And that's relationship. Yeah. Yep. I've always, uh, I've always admired you and even others that I've seen. I think the evangelists I most admire are the least gifted evangelists, you know. Because we can relate to them. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and I, if there's any traceable thread I can find is that they live the kind of life where they're not going to give up on relationship with you. Like yeah. you can give up, you can give up on me, but I'm just not going to give up on you, That's you know, me. and That's hard, yeah. hard situation, hard conversations come, hard disagreements come. Yeah. And uh, man, boy, yeah, I disagree. Want to talk about more next week? <laughs> <laughs> Here's what I do. You know, I t- we teach our churches, and we're entering a series next week, uh, uh, next week, two weeks from now, in April, called Amazing, and looking at some of the simple, ordinary miracles of Jesus. But when, from the time the church started, I looked at the book of Acts, and I thought, you know, the gospel is proclaimed and demonstrated. Mm-hmm. And I think in the West, there's a lot of, proclamation there's a lot of um presentation yeah and there's a lot of apologetics i think those things are necessary paul was a tremendous apologist but paul came to the place even in his own ministry that there needed to be the demonstration of the gospel power and that's where you see the praying for the sick uh deliverance miracles signs and wonders this church started with a bevy of those, and I think we've come away from it, but we're starting to enter into it mm. again. Mm. And I think it's proclamation and demonstration. So I believe in just teaching people just to pray simple prayers. When you're in a conversation, pray for their need. Open a window through a yeah. prayer, simple prayer of faith. Don't get weird. Don't shake. Don't do anything. Pray with your eyes open. Keep it short. Yeah, And let the presence of God and the power of God, however the Lord, the Holy Spirit chooses to manifest himself, let him touch them. We've shared the gospel. Pray for them, which is, they take that as love. You're praying for their need and their hurt. And our church started in the lobby of a bank with four people. We didn't even know that's when this church was starting. Mm. It was just supposed to be a small group. But the genesis of this church came from the lives that were touched in the lobby of that bank, which, by the way, bankrolled the building of this building. No kidding. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. The first, one of the first converts was the manager of that bank. He, be, he eventually became, you know, he was over the state, you know, he's just amazing guy. Discipled him, discipled another banker. And so I love bankers, you know, <laughs> <laughs> doesn't everybody <laughs> where your treasure is there. Your heart shall be also <laughs> will be also. So, um, and we saw God touch people. It wasn't huge miracles yeah. at first. Um, you know, you'd see them tear up, 
uh, you'd see uh, their child get better, their mm. marriage mm. would improve, you know, yeah. things like that. Oh, man, yeah. And But that was important to them. Yeah, of course. But here's what I also sensed. They could sense the presence of God. Sometimes they would go, what was that? And I've never been a feeler, so I go, what was what? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but now I'm not the lost person, so yeah. the Lord just needs to show up for that person, right? Yeah, sure. And I began to realize God's touching them. Yeah. But of course I thought, well, why, why don't you let me feel some of that love, you know? I know we take it by faith, but it would sure help. And I would just, I see the Lord touch them, and then bigger miracles began to happen at the start of the church. Cancers would get healed, infirmities. We had a lot of deliverance. That, mm-hmm. That's something that I didn't really ask for. Uh, but then of course we had you know raising of the dead person that's kind of the, the big story with Pearlside mm-hmm. you know a hospital administrator how appropriate is that she was a family relation, patient relations administrator prayed for a man who was dead for an hour hit the news and then our church went from 80 to 300 so that story of that that person being revived back to life after being dead for an hour word of life word of mouth yeah because the, fam- the family <clears throat> the family was actually Mormon the guy uh he was not Mormon. He culturally might have been Mormon, mm-hmm. but the family mm-hmm. didn't want a Christian miracle being. So so we had the CBS outlet ready. We had the hospital ready because it's good promotion for the hospital, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know. And then they had, they wanted me to do this, inter- you know, the whole, what we're doing now. Sure, yeah. Then that last minute, they, they, didn't, they didn't want it. Mm-hmm. So the guy was raised from the dead, saw heaven, the whole deal, you know. Uh, just before we received the tithes, in May of 1995, mm-hmm. he shares his testimony. He begins to weep and describes scenes out of the book of Revelation. It was astounding. Wow. And he says, I could not enter the city, and that's why I'm here. Mm. And after that service, we led him to the Lord. Wow. That's how the church... You know, I think every church has these watershed moments. They do. They really do. But I, I tell slightly you... slightly more dramatic than most, but... <laughs> yeah, well, here's, yeah, but we had ours also. Yeah. Well, yeah, well, see, here's the deal. I think that... If we, we just finished the great faith series in our every nation f- family of churches. Mm-hmm. Well, but great faith starts with exercising a little faith. Mm-hmm. And as we're faithful to exercise faith and step out in faith, God just, he begins to move. Yep. And so I think we've gotten away from it in the West. You know, we've turned slick, we've turned smart, but now I think God says, get to the supernatural. People, the supernatural doesn't save every anybody, but it points people to the gospel. It's a sign, yeah. 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 So that's... You know. One thing I'm curious to ask you about, Pastor Norman, you mentioned you're 64 years old, a few years away <laughs> from, uh, from, from passing this on. Um, but I know I'm not the only one who has a, just a significant amount of respect for you because um, at 64 year, years old, I mean, I'm sitting right now in the middle of a student conference with hundreds of students mm-hmm. packed out in this mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And even though, obviously, you are kind of, you know, at the, the upper end of your career, this church has continued to reach the youth. And you see the full spectrum of the generations represented mm-hmm. here. And mm-hmm. this church has always had a bent towards reaching the youth. And you, you usually see younger churches reach, reaching younger people. And then as they age out, the church kind of tends to age, you know, with the leadership mm-hmm. of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have really broken that mold. And there seems to be something at a very heart level in this church mm-hmm. that cares about younger generations. What, how do you think that is? What, 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 what is it about this church? We started with young people, mm-hmm. so the thumbprint was set, the DNA. I think that's why the Lord 
chose me to start this church. I've never grown up. I mean, <laughs> I'm 64, and I watch your football games from 2000, 2001, 2002, playing ESPN two, Classic. Playing at one in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> I still fiddle with the drums. I used to be a musician. Uh, I follow high school sports. Um, you know what keeps me young? Just being a real fan of athletics, music, the language of culture. Young people tend to play athletics. I guess that would keep that, you That's what it is. Well, there's old people, you know. <laughs> They're trying. Yeah. And, and, but I think intentionally it's knowing the trends and saying, no, a church is never supposed to be that way. Mm. The American church may be that way. The church in the West may be that way. The church down the hill may be that way. Mm -hmm. But there are many churches that are not that way, even though their leaders are aging. Mm -hmm. Yeah, are you going to have the older ones? Sure. Mm -hmm. But I think it's an intentional effort to equip, select, equip, and empower younger ones, take risk, let them fail, let them have not just tasks but responsibility with weight, Wow. And coach them. And this is where sports has taught me a lot. I yeah. learned a lot from how athletics is run, how good coaches work, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. But I think the real key is empowering. I mean, you got to let go. Seems like the parallel of sports needs to be taken, could be taken a little bit more to heart because the idea of the coach has, is not, he's not allowed on the field. The coach has to That's stay right. on the sidelines. That's right. So you, you have to let them right. risk, you know, running right. the plays out there, right. you know. Or in a really like pressure moment, they they have to make the audible on yeah. the field, you know. Yeah. Whereas in church, uh, the temptation is always, and I feel it even in my soul, like to just jump in and take over, you know, jump in behind center and take the snap, so to speak, <laughs> you know. Like don't, this is probably a little bit too difficult. Let me just step right in versus right. really allowing it. And you really have, I mean, the number of like young leaders that yeah. you guys have and have yeah. had. In fact, I I know that. Uh, You've told me how many times there's so many churches that are calling and saying, hey, you got a young leader you could send our way. And we know you guys have so many. Could you send them our way? And that completely misses the point. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why they don't have young leaders in their church. And Seth, here's my concern, because I do talk with pastors of large churches and things. We see what happens when you're old and you've outlasted a lot of people yeah. and you have a good generational rainbow. Yeah. They do ask for some insight. Mm -hmm. And I told a pastor recently, I said, you know, you can't keep buying leaders from other churches. Ooh, you have to develop. Yeah. You have to develop sons. Yep. And it's 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 messy. And it's sons are different than just servants, aren't they? <laughs> yes, they are. And servants are different from hirelings. Mm. And so I think sometimes we want ready-made, especially if we want to go bigger and we want to get bigger and everybody's doing it. But I look at Scripture, and I don't see that. But it's slower. It's messier, but on the back end, it's more wonderful. Yeah. Because they have your heart. They're yours. Yeah. And so there's an intentionality to that, but we've got to let them fail. I mean, whoever walks well in the beginning, they fall. You know, little ones, you have little ones, they, they fall down. It's yeah. messy. Yeah. Um, but we have to, you can, there's no way around that. Yeah. You know, there's no way around that. And uh, I think, the, and then ultimately, it's letting go. It's letting go. Seth, my favorite service is not preaching the big one. I mean, you know, Pastor Billy does three. I, I do three. Yeah. But the first one on Sunday morning is people my age. Mm -hmm. The second one is a blend of them but younger families. Mm -hmm. And I know I'm on a time clock there. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
But my favorite service is mm-hmm. the new site we planted. It's two years old in the first city, the city, metropolis of Honolulu, where I coach a younger leader mm-hmm. who's, who's going to plant a church in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. Tim Ma. Yeah, Tim. And he's 36, of mine. 37. Yep. And um, coaching him is a joy. So I'm out there for the third service. Billy's growing a crew, fresh young families here. And, but I'm with Tim, and he's the quarterback. Mm-hmm. I'm the coach. And uh, just coaching hymns, that's my favorite service. Now, I still preach the second service out on that site, okay? But I love speaking to 150 people in a room more than 700 in here. Mm-hmm. And the reason I like that is I know I'm training Tim, so he's watching me. His, his gift is leadership. Mm, yeah, no question. His gift is leadership. He's an entrepreneur. He's got that apostolic get, make something out of nothing. But I know that teaching and preaching, he could learn from us. He mm-hmm. could definitely learn from you more than me. But I realize that as I'm giving him the example, then he gets a repetition. Mm-hmm. Then we debrief. Mm-hmm. That's my greatest joy in the week. Mm. Yeah. You've got to empower him. He, he's, the, he's the site pastor. So when the surface is over, nobody comes up to me. They know this. They go up to him. The, my problem is who's going to take that next? That's the flight simulator. So mm. I'm already thinking, okay, who's the next guy we train to send? That's my greatest joy. Yeah. yeah. And you've been doing that consistently now for decades. Not and well enough, though, I think. Well, it seems, seems to be significantly more successful than the common church. We shall see. Based we on how many churches see. you guys have planted so forth. Uh, Norman, you are, uh, you're just an icon for so many reasons and, uh, just really have appreciated your leadership. And, uh, and, uh, it's not often you find a man of Japanese descent who's planted a church <laughs> overlooking Pearl Harbor. Pearl Harbor, I know that's oh, funny. Yeah. My goodness. Like, um, that's probably a whole story in and of itself, yeah. but, uh, yeah. but, uh, I'm just so thankful for your leadership and your heart. And, uh, I'm so thankful for this church that I've been able to learn from and be a part of and now be able to contribute to and. There's a lot of great Seth, young leaders. Let me, let me here. tell you, as the old guy on the NALT, and and uh, I'm going to play a, a role even beyond that. I'm, I understand in the in, in the days to come. But let me just say, if we can clone you, hmm. we can win the world. Well, I don't. <laughs> I think my wife would tell you one of me is more than enough. I don't think the world needs it Man, anymore. Man, I'd love to be six six, <laughs> smart as heck, good looking, anointed, uh, eloquent, intelligent. The beard yeah, is deceptive, Norman. The beard is deceptive. Don't, <laughs> don't believe everything you see. <laughs> People say, looks is not everything. But you know what I say to them? What's that? But it helps. <laughs> <laughs> Height's not everything. Yeah. But it helps. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Bodily exercise profits little. But it profits a little. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> wisdom, massive wisdom coming out of Norman Nakanishi. Yeah, I want right. to thank you so much for your time. Today, what an Norman. honor. What yeah. an honor to be interviewed by Pastor Seth Trimmer. All right. Yes. We'll do it again sometime.